When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Podcast. Uh, this week, our guest is Ann Garcia, and she is the managing partner of Independent Progressive Advisors. Welcome, Ann. Thanks for having me, Gary. So, Ann, what, what made you get into the financial arena? So, um, so uh, two pieces of that one, how I became a financial advisor. Um, I worked in technology for a long time, ironically, and, um, and a lot of that was at into it, which made Quicken and TurboTax. And we always joke that every January 15th, all of our friends would call and ask for a free copy of TurboTax. And every April 15th, they'd call and ask what to do with their tax return and um, with their tax refund. And I found I really enjoyed having those conversations with people. And so um, I did a career pivot um, after having kids and decided I wanted to have those conversations all the time. So I um, went back to school and did the certified financial planner um, curriculum, took the test and became a financial advisor. And it's been, I guess, about 12, 12 years now. Um, early on in my career, I found that a lot of our, a lot of my firm's clients were coming in with questions about how to pay for college and um, none of the other advisors really wanted to, to talk about that. And um, being a parent myself of two kids who I hoped would be attending college, I felt like learning something about that would not only be a service to my clients, but help, help me and, and my family um, get through this very, very large and significant expense investment, you know, call it what you want in your, um, in your child's and your family's future. Right. Now, when, when you talk about, um, you know, the college planning side of things, are you only um, dealing with clients in, you know, here, this is how to invest your money, or are you talking with them about, you know, the proper colleges to, to pick for their, for their students, um, scholarships, so forth and so on? Yeah, it's a great question because there are so many elements to a college plan. And I, I like to look at it comprehensively um, because, there are just so many layers to it. You know, there's savings, there's coming up with a budget, there's um, figuring out what pathway your kid is on. Um, there's, you know, building their high school um, course curriculum. Um, there's <clears throat> finding the colleges that are likely to give them scholarships. There's filing the FAFSA. <clears throat> there's coming up with a spending plan, whether it's just paying from savings, whether you're contributing from cash flow. Um, being eligible for tax credits. And then, of course, the big piece for us as financial planners is how do you balance college and retirement? Right, right. Now, so in, in going through this and doing this with, with a, a number of families and things like that, what are some of the common mistakes that you see the, the families are making? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I think one of the really hard things about planning for college is it's such an opaque system. And, um, and, and you know, then there's a the whole, if I knew when my child was born, what college they were going to go to, it would be super easy to plan for it, but I have to plan for a whole, for a whole range of outcomes. So I think the number one problem that family, uh, number one mistake that families make is, 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 you know, the ostrich approach of just saying, this is too hard. I'm just going to ignore it. Um, the problem with that is you have a very short amount of time to prepare yourself for a college and you have a, a really specific deadline, which is around 18 years from the time that your child is born to, um, um, to, to get there. So that's one big mistake is just not planning for it. I think another really big mistake that I see families making is they hear savings penalizes you in the financial aid formula. So it's better if I don't save. And the reality is while it's true that savings are factored into your ability to pay for college, they're factored in in a very small way. And the more savings you have, the more choices your student is going to have. You know, not all colleges meet financial needs, so it could even be moot the fact that you didn't that you didn't save. Um, but again, more more savings equals more choices. I mean, my daughter's a perfect example. She. Um, you know, she was accepted to our in-state public school with a full tuition scholarship, um, which was a, a great opportunity for her, but the school wasn't really a good fit for her um, on a lot of the sort of softer factors. Because we had saved, she was able to attend a private university that gave her an excellent scholarship package, but that was still more than you know, full tuition scholarship at our, at our in-state school. Had we not saved, she wouldn't have had that choice. And she's really just had a phenomenal college experience, um, you know, really stretched her boundaries, learned a ton, made some great friends. Um, and it's put her on a whole different trajectory than, you know, than she might've been um, otherwise. So saving is good. Not saving is a mistake. Um, the other thing is that, um, there's been a lot of research done that shows that um, families who have saved for college, their, their children are more likely to enroll and graduate from college, regardless of the amount of money that they have saved. So you don't have to have $300,000 saved for college, but any amount is probably going to get your kid to enroll and graduate. Um, I think another mistake that people um, that people make is putting too much reliance on the financial aid forms, the FAFSA and the CSS profile. So a lot of families say, "Oh, great, you know, I got <laughs> I got a really low expected family contribution, which is the number that the FAFSA calculates as your family's ability to pay um, on the FAFSA." So that means that college is only going to cost me this much. Colleges may or may not, not meet your financial need, and even if they do meet your financial meet need, they might not meet all of it or they might use um, loans and work study as part of your financial aid package. So it's not enough to just, um, to just do good on the FAFSA. You have to use that information to select schools that are, um, that are likely to meet, um, to meet your need. I think the other, you know, the other, the other piece of it is the other mistake would be assuming that the, the, best air quotes college that you can get into is the best choice for um, for your student. You know, we have a tendency to equate cost and exclusivity with quality. Right. 
And when it comes to college, what you're really looking at is not what's best in the U.S. News and World Report ranking systems, but what's best for your child. So what's a good fit for them academically? What's a good fit for them socially? And what's a good fit for them financially? Because the thing that will have the biggest impact from their college choice on their future ultimately is not what college they go to. It's not what major they have. It's how much student loan debt they owe when they graduate. Um, because excessive student loans will dictate where they can live, AKA in your basement, <laughs> um, what jobs they can take, whether they can go to graduate school, whether they can buy a car, a home, um, you know, so many things that we don't even think about. For example, um, student loan debt correlates with not getting married and not having children. Um, so so those would be some of the big, some of the big mistakes that I see, you know, that I see people making. So, you know, dispel this, if this is a myth or not, um, you know, I hear many people say, oh, well, you know, my kid is currently going to a private high school. The guidance counselors are there to help us get them into, into college and get the financial aid we need. So, um, that varies tremendously from school to, to school. Um, many high schools place a very high value in making sure that a very high percentage, if not 100% of their students enroll in, in college mm -hmm. immediately afterwards, particularly private schools. Um, and it's also true that colleges, when they are particularly highly selective colleges, um, more academically rigorous colleges, will look at um, high schools that their students have attended, where their successful students have come from, and say, okay, we know that these schools do a good job of preparing um, kids for, for our path. Whether that whether attending one of those schools is going to get your kid into one of those colleges is a different, you know, is a different um, a different question. You know, plenty of college plenty of colleges send kids on to great places, and how helpful your guidance counselors are in um, finding financial aid opportunities for you. Um, I've seen. I, I've seen huge variances in what in what they're able to do. You know. The one thing that families need to know is there's two big pools, two big types of scholarships out there. Um, there are those that are based on financial need. Um, oftentimes, guidance counselors can be very helpful for students with high need in helping them to identify colleges that will meet their um, that will meet their need. Um, <clears throat> You know, and one of the things that we see a lot of is high performing, low income kids don't apply to elite colleges because they're worried about the cost. And in fact, those are the colleges that are most likely to be most generous to them. So a good guidance counselor might be able to help the um, to help a kid like that along the path. The other thing that guidance counselors can be really helpful for is understanding your um, your state's public colleges merit scholarship policies. Many of them are very good about that, but not all, all are. So I think, you know, if you think your guidance counselor is going to be a good resource, make sure they understand the difference between need and merit aid, that they understand what types of aid your student is likely to be eligible for, which they probably don't have a lot of visibility to your family's financial situation. If, in particular, if you are at a socioeconomically diverse 
high school, um, you know, where they really, they really don't, um, don't have a lot of um, visibility beyond kids who are eligible for free and reduced lunch and other, you know, and, and other programs. Um, but good guidance counselors can help you find, um, can help you find colleges that offer generous merit scholarships um, for students like yours. So those are ones that are just based on, on academics. You know, they do, particularly if you're at a high school that has a lot of college reps come in to visit um, at their college and career center, oftentimes the guidance counselor will have a good relationship with those reps and understand um, what, their, what their financial aid and merit aid policies are. I think one of the important things that families overlook is a, so much of the so much of the college narrative is driven by the Stanford's and Harvard's of the world. Um, most colleges don't operate like Stanford and Harvard, you know, which are rejecting, you know, 95% of applicants. You know, most colleges are actually trying to recruit and enroll students. And one of their best tools for recruitment and enrollment is scholarships. And so getting back to your original question, which I know I've gone a long way, <laughs> a long ways around it. Um, oftentimes your, your high school guidance counselor may know about those kinds of schools that might not be on your radar screen. Um, and, and, and oftentimes they can be a good help. The other thing that guidance counselors can be really helpful for is um, knowing about local scholarships that are available. So, you know, kids so often go to FastWeb and the big databases of, um, of scholarships. The really great outside scholarship opportunities tend to be the local ones, not because they're better or worse than the national ones, but because the applicant pool is smaller and you're much more likely to get it. And so chances are that the guidance counselor at your high school has a database of locally available scholarships. Gotcha. So, you know, you bring up the Stanford's and, you know, any of the other, I'm going to say big, big schools. Um, lots of times they, they cost more money one way or another. Um, and, someone's child wants to, and not to pick on any particular, you know, you know, uh, degree or anything, but they want to get an arts degree and they want to go to Stanford to get mm -hmm. this. Um, and how do you get that student to buy in and have skin in the game? Because mom and dad are going to pay an awful lot of money um, if they're paying for it. To, for you to get an arts degree, um, or you're going to take out student loans to get it, that you may not make the kind of money to to help offset, you know what what those are. How do you how do you get the the students to buy into this? Yeah, that's you know that's such a such a good question. Um, I think it's so important for students to have agency in the process of of selecting colleges, but they need to have agency within limits. And so my recommendation to parents and, and one of the first things in my, in my book, How to Pay for College, is that you think long and hard about what it is you're actually trying to accomplish by sending your child to college. So not what do I want to tell my friends about where my kid is going, but who is the 25-year-old version of this 17-year-old? Who is the 30-year-old version of this 17-year-old? And then what are things that make my child successful? Or what are things, where are, where are 
What are things that make them feel unsuccessful? And start by looking at those things and use that to drive your vision of what college should be for, for your student. You know, if you can afford a private university education for your student, even if they're going to become an arts major, good for you. Um, if, if you can't afford it, you, you know, if you can't afford full price, also good for you is that there are lots and lots of those colleges that will give generous scholarships if you're willing to do the legwork to find them. What is not good for you is to say, I have a budget of $20,000, I am not eligible for need-based aid, and my kid is going to go to Stanford, which costs $80,000 a year. <laughs> Um, so something's got to give in, you know, in, in that model. If you are committed to your student attending a particular school or a particular type of school, you know, an Ivy League, an elite private school, you have to be prepared to pay the costs for them to, to go there. If, on the other hand, you're committed to your student getting a great education at a price that your family can afford, there are going to be lots and lots of ways for you, for you to get that. Right. Um, you know, again, this is the accountant coming out in me and, and the fact of looking, being realistic about it and, and is the degree that you're getting going to ever make enough money to pay, you know, not, you, you know, the parents have already paid for it, but would it have, if, if you had to get the loans for it, would it ever pay those loans back? Right. Um, and, and I think sometimes um, people get a little too caught up in where mm -hmm. they're going to go to school as compared to the type of education am I going to get? And what when, when I leave there, what are my opportunities going to be as a professional? Yeah. One of the things that I really stress in my, in my book is you need to be thinking about college from the perspective of why college, not which college. You know, why college is empowering, which college is limiting. Um, <clears throat> to, um, to, you know, to your point about, you know, how much should you spend for, for whatever degree, my um, very strong recommendation, caution, call it what you will, is that regardless of career path that a student intends, they should not borrow more than the federal direct student loan limits every year. Um, a lot of people say, well, my student's going to be an engineer and going to make a ton of money. So it's worth paying more for them to go to, you know, MIT or wherever. Well, more than 50% of students change their major over the course of their college career. So it really does not make sense to choose a college based on what you think a 17 year old is going to do. And in fact, STEM fields are the ones with the highest attrition rates um, in, in college. A student who borrows the full direct student loan amount every year, which is 5,500 their first year, 6,500 their second year, and then 7,500 their last two years, will owe a little over $27,000 when they graduate. And that translates to um, a 10 year repayment with monthly payments of about $300. Now, if that's what the difference between them getting a degree and not getting a degree, that will more than pay for itself in um, both near-term and, and, and long-term earnings. You know, when you get into anything beyond that, you start stretching the boundaries of, of the possible. Right. Now, you, you talked about your book um, you, that, that's coming out. 
Um, when when is your launch date of, of your of your book? So it comes out July 19th, which is shockingly close to now. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, and, and what's the name of your book? It's called How to Pay for College. Okay. Um, and, and in there, you talk about, you know, investments and things like that to, to for your family to, to use. Um, but then you also talk about how to save for college, why you're saving for retirement and, and so forth. Um, you also talk in there about, um, you know, getting, getting your student to have skin in the game. And, and you also have a lot of tips for them on, you know, when you should get your FAFSA forms in and, and other resources like that. Can you talk about some of those? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, let's see where to begin. So let's start with saving. Um, you should save for college. Um, if you intend for your kid to go to college, you should save for college. Um, and for most people, the best place to save is a 529 plan. Um, and my book has a check checklist worksheet on how to choose a 529, set it up, get a monthly contribution going, and then give yourself a reminder every year, maybe on your kid's birthday. Think about, you know, it's not just great that you're seven years old, but 10 years from now, who do I want you to be and what opportunities do I want you to have? Hey, that's a great time to bump up my monthly, um, my monthly contribution to your, to your 529. Um, the big question for so many families is how you balance saving for college with your other obligations. Um, you know, there's been this saying for a while, you should save for retirement, not college, because you can take out loans for college, not for retirement. That's how we got over a trillion dollars in outstanding student loan debt. So mm -hmm. you need to do both and they need to be in, in balance. My rule of thumb for people is if you don't have emergency savings, you don't have college savings. If, you, if you're not saving for retirement, you also should not be saving for college. If you're saving for retirement, but not maxing out your retirement savings, then 10% of what you put into retirement should be the maximum amount that you put into college. So if you're saving $10,000 a year for retirement, instead of $19,500, which is the current maximum for, for a 401k for someone under 50, then you should only be contributing $1,000 a year to college. If you want to save more for college, bump up your retirement savings rate and then bump up your college savings rate with it. <clears throat> Once you get to the point where you're maxing out um, retirement savings, then you have more flexibility in maybe targeting your state's um, you know, deductible amount for 529 contributions or you know, when you get to that point, you're probably also at a point where you're, where your kids are in school and you have a, a little bit of a sense of who they are academically. And you might think about working backwards from say the cost of in-state tuition to how much I need to be um, contributing to savings. In general, if your college savings account balance is more than 20% of your retirement savings account balance, you're probably overemphasizing college at the expense of, of retirement. Right. Um, so let's see, where else were we? <laughs> so what are some of the, the, you know, cause you talked about going different places to get scholarships and things like mm -hmm. that in your book, do you talk about some of those places that they should be looking? Yeah. Um, so, so scholarships, <clears throat> the, the majority of scholarship money is going to come directly from the college. Those are always the best scholarships to get. And 
virtually every college offers some form of scholarship. It's just a matter of, are you the student that they offer it to? So for example, the top schools don't offer merit scholarships because everyone's fabulous. You know, being a merit scholarship recipient elsewhere is sort of table stakes for getting in, but they're very generous with need-based um, financial aid. Once you get below that top level of, of colleges, you know, maybe the top 10, top 20, you're in the realm of colleges that offer merit awards. And a lot of what they're doing in offering merit awards is trying to attract higher quality students who will move their school up the U.S. News and World Report ranking um, you know, ranking level. And so, so, so one way to find merit scholarships is to um, search for colleges where your student is in the top um, 20% academically, and that's um, GPA and, um, and often test scores. So even though most colleges are test optional for admissions, they do still factor SATs and ACTs into their merit awards because U.S. News and World Report would like to have SAT and ACT scores for their rankings. So that's one pool of money is what comes from the colleges themselves. There's a big myth that um, private schools are the only ones who offer merit scholarships. In fact, most public colleges are quite generous with their in-state students and oftentimes with out-of-state students. So for example, my son we live in Oregon. My son um, goes to the University of Arizona, which offered him a merit scholarship that made it cost the same for him to go to Arizona as it would have cost to go to, to Oregon. Um, so lots and lots of um, scholarships out there. Most public universities automatically grant um, scholarships to eligible students. So you can go to your state's public colleges and look on their website for, for scholarships for incoming freshmen. And you'll see exactly what GPA and test score, if included, is necessary to get what, um, what scholarship. Great exercise to do when your kid is a freshman in high school. <laughs> um, because there's a couple key pieces of that. You know, one is what, G what GPA is required, and two is how do they calculate GPA? Oftentimes they use unweighted GPA, not weighted GPA. And so a student who takes a lot of AP or IB classes and gets lesser grades might find that they're costing themselves um, merit scholarships by, by doing that. So that's the institutional side of scholarships. There's another big pool of scholarships which are what's called outside scholarships. And those are scholarships that basically come from any place other than the college itself. They tend to be less generous. Um, they have special treatment in the financial aid formula where they will reduce need-based financial aid, but that doesn't mean that they aren't great scholarships. So for example, my daughter has an outside scholarship um, where she gets $5,000 a year um, for tuition. She gets $1,000 a year for a technology purchase. Um, and then her scholarship gives her a professional mentor and her mentor helped her find a great internship last summer. Um, so those scholarships, a pretty good scholarship. It's a great scholarship, <laughs> especially because her internship is with one of the, um, one of the big airlines. And so she gets free travel in addition to a high salary and a great job. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that scholarship. So, so the way you find those scholarships is by looking for them. And my book, How to Pay for College, and my online um, course at my website, howtopayforcollege.com, both have worksheets for how to go about finding these outside scholarships. So there are big websites like FastWeb and Scholarly and whatnot that have databases of scholarships. And 
there are crazy scholarships. I mean, make a duct tape suit and send a picture of yourself, or there's scholarships for tall people. There's scholarships for dog lovers. Um, you know, really anything you are, there's probably a scholarship for you. Um, the other, but the other place that is a much better place to look in my experience is closer to home. So what activities do you participate in um, that might have scholarships? Club sports teams often have scholarships. After school programs have scholarships. Many high school sports teams have scholarships for, um, for their players. Ask your teachers about scholarships you might be eligible for. My daughter found her scholarship through her high school computer science teacher. He recommended that she apply for it. She applied, got it, and Twenty thousand dollars later, <laughs> we're, right. we're very grateful to him. When when somebody goes th you know through this process, if they're going for um, any of the, the the scholarships from the school, um, even if it's just you know, I'm going to say on the lower end scholarships and stuff. Um, because many people say, oh, I make too much money. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend the time filling out the FAFSA. Mm -hmm. Um, it's my understanding if you don't fill out the FAFSA, then you're definitely not getting anything merit or need-based or any other way. Well, you're definitely eligible for a smaller pool of scholarships if you don't fill out the FAFSA. Um, merit scholarships, generally are awarded on the basis of merit, not on the basis of need. However, many of them have a need component to them. Right. So, you know, so, so, so you may be limiting the pool of scholarships that you're eligible for if you don't fill out, um, fill out the FAFSA. But, you know, for many students, merit scholarships are going to be their best option because the aid formula is such that, you know, you're not going to, if your expected family contribution as calculated by the FAFSA is more than the cost of attendance at your college, you are not eligible for any need-based aid and merit is going to be what you get. And unfortunately for most parents, their expected family contribution is a whole lot more than they expect their family to contribute oh, yeah. um, to college. And that's where merit um, scholarships become really important. The other thing though, I always caution parents, regardless of your financial status, you should fill out the FAFSA. Um, and there are lots and lots of reasons for that. Here's reason number one, as much as families want to find scholarships for college, colleges want to find families who are willing to pay full price. Right. And if that's you, in many cases, it will give you a leg up in the in the admissions process. Um, you know, just knowing that you don't have financial um, financial need. The other reason to fill out the FAFSA is the FAFSA is the application for federal student loans. So if you want your student to have any skin in the game in the form of a student loan, only by filling out the FAFSA can they um, can they take out that student loan. And if you don't go the federal student loan route and instead go the private student loan route, you will be the co-signer on those on those loans. Whereas the federal student loans are are the students and the students loan. So um, so all of those are are good reasons to uh, um, to fill out the FAFSA. The other thing is, you know, for me as a parent, there are, there are rules I have for my kids in you know in in going to college. And while I might tell them I'm only paying for your, your college as long as you X, Y, or Z, I'm really not going to pull the rug out from under them if they don't do that. Um, but I am going to tell them, you know what, um, you're you're kicking in the loan this year. Right. What, what do you know now 
about the college you know loan process and and everything what do you know now that you wish you knew when you when you first started out so that is that's such a good question and i think there are ways to answer it as a parent and ways to answer it as a financial advisor so i'm going to start by answering it as a parent um, I wish I knew that better, faster, stronger wasn't always the best path. Um, and I will use my son as an example for that. Um, he's a smart kid, but he's also a normal boy. And so when he was in high school, because he was a smart kid, he tested into a lot of high level classes because he was a normal boy. He had a lot of other interests besides homework. You know, he played club soccer. He had a girlfriend. He had a job. He did lots of things. Spending five hours a night on homework wasn't one of them. Um, but we had internalized that the best thing for your kid is to have them take the hardest classes they, they possibly can um, when, they're, when they're in high school. And so he was enrolled in a lot of um, advanced math and IB classes and, and what have you. And he ended up with a terrible GPA <laughs> um, coming, coming out of, of high school. And when he applied to colleges, um, he was really committed to getting out of Dodge. And he's always been someone who's carved his own path um, and, uh, and really did not want to follow the pack to Oregon or Oregon State. He wanted to go out of state. And we're like, sorry, dude, we're, you know, based on the effort you put into high school, we're not putting that effort into college. Um, fortunately, he found, um, he found another college that had a scholarship based on his ACT scores that brought the cost down to the same as what he would have paid to go to Oregon. But we realized that um, his GPA, if it had been just a little bit higher, would have qualified for him for an extra $12,000 a year right. in merit scholarships. <clears throat> and, you know, because we had pushed him into these harder classes, um, not only did it cost us a whole lot of money, but it cost us a whole lot of frustration with him as a student, you know, where multiple nights every week, he'd be crying over his homework. He'd always say, I'm the dumbest person in any of my classes. You know, he was so frustrated with everything. And now he's in college and he's knocking it out of the park. You know, he's a 4.0 student in business. He's tutoring statistics where he got a D in high school calculus. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, as a parent, I would say, Look for the things that make your student feel successful and good about themselves. Challenge is good and, and challenge that lets them succeed and, and helps them build those skills is, is really, really good. So, so just because your school offers a full IB diploma doesn't mean that that's the right path for your students. Instead, let them follow their passions, let them learn who they are. Um, and let the person that they learn who they are be someone other than the dumbest person in all their classes. Um. <laughs> I, I get that. I mean, it's some, sometimes you you know you do feel that way because because you struggle some, um, and that's that's definitely. But it's great that he's kind of found his footing now where he's at and, and flourishing. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely flourishing there. And my only regret is that we didn't set him up for that kind of success a little, a little sooner. So challenge is good, but it needs to be challenged that somebody can be successful at, not one that's gonna um, end up in ultimate frustration. Um, on the financial side, um, so things I wish, um, things I wish I, I knew, um, well, okay, I'm gonna say I'm a financial planner, so I'm a planner. So, you know, I set up 529s for my kids 
before they were born and told people that that was a good place to make baby gifts. So I'm just going to (laughs) say, if you're pregnant now, (laughs) um, that would be something to do. But um, (laughs) I I think the most, you know, the most important thing that I've learned is that um, the best way to prepare yourself financially for college is to be intentional and disciplined about it. And so intentional means setting up a savings plan and contributing to it. Disciplined means having an automatic monthly contribution going, going in, you know, saving and investing is the ultimate must be present to win game. You know, it's, you are far better off doing the second best thing than wasting time trying to figure out what the first best thing is, you know, your state's 529 might not be perfect, but if it's easy, do it. Right. Um, you know, I think that goes, I think that goes with, with any savings plan that you're getting into, if it's your, not, not just for college and stuff like that, but for your, your personal emergency savings, your 401k or, or anything else, make it simple because if you make it simple, then you tend to stick to it a little bit more. Absolutely. The thing you do 99% 99% of the time will have a better outcome than the thing that you don't do. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. We covered a lot of stuff. We could probably go on for another couple hours with, with this because, you know, this is a topic that so many people um, really need to, to, to learn about and knowing the rules are important. Um, what have I not asked you that you wish that I had? Oh, that's always a good question. So, um, Not that you haven't asked, but the something that I want to make sure that people know um, when it comes to college, you have a lot of good choices. So many families think, oh, I don't have $80,000 a year to spend for college. So I'm stuck with, you know, community college or my in-state school. You have lots and lots of good choices. And there are lots and lots of tools to find those choices. My, um, my book goes in great detail about how to find all those good choices um, and whatnot. And so that to me is the most important thing for families to remember is you have lots and lots of good choices and you have the opportunity through saving, through discipline, spending, through identifying your budget and having good conversations with your kid about college, you have the opportunity to create even more choices for them. Great, great. So, and if our client, if, if our listeners like what they hear, um, they want to get your book, they want to want to get involved in your, uh, in your online program, how do they find you? Yeah, so my book is How to Pay for College, and that comes out um, the 19th of July, so very soon. Um, it's available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite independent bookseller, um, so, um, so that's a great starting point, um, for, for all of these topics. My website is howtopayforcollege.com. It has tons and tons of content as, as well, slightly less organized than the book. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but, I, but on my website, I do have my online course, um, the college financial plan masterclass, which is really targeted for families who are in high school and, and really looking to get serious and in depth about their about their college planning and 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 map out all the details. So, how to pay for college or how to pay for college.com is the best place to find me. Great, and really appreciate your time and uh, in, in all the the information you've been able to provide to the listeners. I think that 
you know, again, it's something that that everybody needs to to look at. And if you haven't started planning, you you need to do it, you know, like ASAP. Absolutely. Sooner is better. Right. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. Sure. This week, our guest was Ann Garcia, who is the managing partner of Independent Progressive Advisors. And we will see you guys next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>